So uh, we've been in this little series thinking about how we might become more like Jesus, how we could become more a person of love, more healthy, more whole, and even more spiritual. And uh, we had this little working definition, if you were here last week, of the spiritual life. This is from our friend John Mark, and he said this, our spiritual life can be equated to our capacity to give and receive love in relationship to God and to others. They're basically like a sponge that we are invited to be people who suck up the love around us, suck up the love of those that we know around us, but also suck up love from God in order that we might be able to give it away. That we might be the people who give love not just to God, not just even to those around us, but even ultimately, as Jesus says, to those who we don't love or don't like naturally, our very enemies. Um, But of course, we spoke last week about the problem is often that it's hurriness. It's hurry, hurriness, that's not a word. Hurry, which gives us the problem. But if we're in so much of a hurry, not only do we have problem receiving love because there's no time for relationships or worship, but of course, it's really difficult to give anything away either. And uh, maybe you went home last week going, oh my goodness, no, that is so me. That was how I went home last week. Um, And if you felt a little bit worse, may I just say this? Thank you for coming back. Um, Thank you for braving it for another week. There's good news to come along the way because I believe so much that God's desire is for our holiness. Sometimes we get confused. We think that God's desire is for our happiness. I actually think that can be a byproduct of holiness, but God's primary desire is that we would grow to become more the people that we were always invited to be. And so how do you do it? Um, Aside from, you went home like, okay, less TV, less social media, more times with Jesus. Like, aside from those basic things, what are you supposed to do if you want to grow to be more holy? And so that's where we're going to go this morning. And I just want to invite us, just let's take a breath, right? Kids are in groups. Well done. You did it. You made it to church, the parking restrictions, the marathon, the whole thing. You did it. You're here. And the Lord is here too. So let's take a breath. Let's just, the Lord is here. Thank you, Lord. And we're going to enter into the world of spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines and rules of life. And you might not like any of those concepts, but you will, I promise. So let's get our reading from John 15, and uh, we are starting at verse 1. So John 15, starting at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Amen. So Jesus frames it like this, produce fruit, be fruitful. Um, And at first read, it sounds a little bit like an addition game, doesn't it? It's like, do more, be better, tell more people about Jesus, read your Bible, feed the poor, heal the sick, be fruitful. In fact, not only do that, but do it on top of the rest of your life. Do it on top of your education and your great social life and your career goals and your financial stability. And if you can add all of those things together, you will achieve fruitfulness. Not so much. Not really what Jesus is talking about. In fact, it sounds exhausting, doesn't it? That idea that we might take more on top of the already busy lives that we have. If you've ever delved into the world of spiritual disciplines before and it's left you feeling exhausted and stressed out and maybe a little bit like a failure, don't worry. Jesus has something else to say. This is not primarily about habit stacking, it turns out. In fact, the first clue of what Jesus says is in verse 5 when he says these words, Remain in me, and I in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The word there, remain, is the same word we sometimes translate abide. It's the word meno, remain, dwell, stay. Maybe it, it conjures up an image in your mind like it does of mine, of like a child cuddled up on a, like a sofa with their parent, like safe, protected. And I think that's partly right. But actually, Jesus seems to have even more to say than that. There's something more active going on because he talks about pruning. Um, how many of you this year have uh, taken the five north out of LA and headed up uh, towards like central California, the Bay Area? Nobody yet. You will. You will. Uh, if you're not from around here, basically, we have one way out of LA, really, if you're going up that way. You have to head up through the grapevine. You head up and up and up, about 4,000 feet up through the mountain pass. And then almost suddenly, you drop right down through this canyon. And you have to be very careful not to drive into the car in front of you because it's kind of busy. And then suddenly, as you come down the mountainside, you are like confronted by this huge, wide open, beautiful stretch of Central California countryside. As you head up towards Bakersfield, you've got like fields after fields after fields of beautiful crops on either side of the road and things growing. Except the first time I went up there, I couldn't work out at first why there just seemed to be so many fields of seemingly dead trees. Like I just drove up, it looked like this up on the screen. I thought, what has happened to these trees? Why is it that they look like they're dead? Why has some fire burnt through them? This doesn't seem like they're very healthy. Until someone pointed out to me that those are, what are they? Grapevines. They are grapevines, but they are in their winter state of dormancy. They are perfectly healthy. In fact, they are in the very cycle of growth that they require. Every season, skilled farmers take the grapevines back to 12 to 15 inches from their trunk. They take off all the old growth, all the fruit, all the spurs. It's a process that looks violent. It's certainly very active, but it is the very cycle of fruitfulness that the grapevines need. What they are doing is they are setting up the vines for future fruitfulness. 
It takes a great degree of skill. This is from one vineyard in the north of California. It says, every year growers have to decide how much and which parts of the previous season's growth to remove in order to regulate vegetative growth, shoots and leaves, and crop load, grape clusters, to produce quality grapes and optimum yield. This is how grapes grow. Without pruning, a grapevine cannot be healthy and continue to provide the beautiful grapes that we all enjoy. This is how grapes grow, but it's actually also how Christians grow too. This is what Jesus does with those who love him. Notice he says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear even more fruit. I find this hard, honestly. I'm a kind of up and to the right sort of guy, if I'm honest. Like, if you ask me, this is how how I hope life is going to look, you know, this year, whatever the metric is, whatever the experience, like, I'm secretly hoping for a bit more, more experience of God, a little bit more health, maybe some more skills along the way. I, I hope that things will grow. The idea to me that things might get pruned, like harder, taken away, this doesn't in any way to me sound naturally like a really good idea. It's not something I am drawn towards. But of course, it is a pattern about life that often repeats. I don't know how many of you have got uh, New Year's resolutions about getting more fit and healthy this year. Um, We've tried a a bit of a new regime in our house. And I have to say, the first few weeks have been awful. Uh, (laughs) It has got worse, right? Have you ever noticed that? You try to get healthier and fitter. You try new exercises. And you thought before, I could walk. Now I can't even walk. I was trying to run, but I can't even walk now. That's basically how it goes. Sociologists, psychologists call it like the J-curve effect. Basically, it's the idea that generally in life, things have to go and be taken, get rid of before new things can begin. It's a cycle that Jesus uses too. The journey toward growth actually passes through surrender, much as we don't love it. So what are the kind of things that, that Jesus prunes? And I think there can be many along the way. Last week, we spoke about the need to create capacity margin in our lives. We said, didn't we, that if you try and add spiritual disciplines or other things in your life and your life is already 120% full, it is miserable. Honestly, it's just not fun at all. Um, But I was slightly challenged by this stat that I read this week. Um, Apparently, if you're a millennial in the room, of which there are many of us and I'm, I think, on the right on the edge, um, apparently, um, on average, we spend about four hours every day on our phone, apparently. Um, Apparently, we also, if you're an adult between 35 and 45, that's a lot of us, right? Apparently, we also spend two to three hours a day watching TV. Uh, I don't know if that's true um, of you, but what I do know is if that is true or even close, that's a full-time job. (laughs) That's a full-time job, uh, just watching TV. Time is a precious commodity. And one of the things that the Lord will help us to do along the journey is to create space for his voice. The second way, I think, is that often pruning can look like shedding the sins, the brokenness, the addiction, the pain that so infects our spiritual and physical lives. You know, I, we, many of us have this, if we're really honest, and this is a private thing, and no one's going to ask you in this church what your struggles are, but we have those things in our lives, which, if we're really honest, don't we, are deeply destructive. 
those habits that have formed, the things that have been done to us or the things that we've done, the thought patterns, they almost are like these sort of diseases that come into the vine, the places where we go when we're stressed or low or bored or lonely. Those things pull us away from the spiritual life. They pull us away from good, healthy, relational lives with anyone. Internally, maybe even as I'm speaking, you have a bit of an idea about what that might be. But the process of pruning is a process that the Holy Spirit will use if we'll allow him to treat us through prayer or counseling or even things like inner healing prayer along the journey towards health. Pruning can look like saying goodbye to bad things. But thirdly, pruning can also say like goodbye to good things. Notice what Jesus said. Even things that grow and have grown need pruning along the way. Things that might have used to be really fruitful. Things you've done before, places you've seen the Lord do amazing things, healings that happened, ways that you felt fully alive. Actually, the Lord can even prune those much as we wish that he wouldn't, right? He can even prune those. Why? Because he's trying to set us up for future growth. Because he has our very best in hand. Sometimes, even in the great stuff, God can say, but not anymore. But not now, because there's something better to happen. And by the way, here's the bad news for you. This is a cyclical pattern. Just in case you were like, the Lord pruned me when I was 21. I had so much to sort out. I'm fine now. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, this like grapes being pruned is a seasonal cycle that happens throughout our lives. But he does it because he loves us. He loves us. It's not just about what you can add to grow. Sometimes, actually, it can almost feel a bit like subtracting along the way to clear the space out. I wonder this morning, what are those things that even the Holy Spirit might just gently put his finger on for the start of a new year? Ben, I love you. I love you, son. But it's time to let go of that. That's got to go. I wonder what he might say. But here's the point. The point is not because God is sadistic and he actually likes to cause pain. It's actually because God is trying to set us up for future health and growth. You see, when a vine dresser goes to a grape, they are setting them up for the optimum way so that they can produce the maximum amount of fruitfulness in the future. And the Lord does the same with us. And he does it through this process. And it's a process we call um, discipleship. Discipleship. I think it's a very misunderstood sort of term, isn't it? We, don't, we probably more use the term Christian than we use disciple now. So let's just talk about it. It's worth uh, pointing out, I think, this. You know, when Jesus was on earth, he never ever said to those first people he encountered, would you convert from your previous religion of Judaism to my new religion called Christianity? Uh, What you need to do is subscribe to a certain set of beliefs and doctrines, and at the end of the process, you'll get to come to heaven with me. It's not that those things aren't true, by the way. There's somewhere in the process that those things exist. But when Jesus first met people along the road, do you know what he said to them? He said, come, follow me. Come, follow me. The the invitation was the word discipleship. It's the word matateus. And it means simply to be a learner or a student. It's like probably the best word we have is the word apprentice. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of apprentice, like master and apprentice. I've got Yoda going on in my head, or Karate Kid. 
I've just aged myself perfectly, haven't I, right? I don't know what you have in your mind. It's not a Western concept, but this is exactly how it worked in the first century. See, when you were a child in first century Jerusalem or in the surrounding areas, you would go to a school and for the first years of your education, you would learn to, by memory the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I don't know if any of you have got that bit down yet, but that's where you'd have been. If you graduated through that process, it's likely you'd have been invited to go back to a kind of higher education. In higher education, you would learn not just the first five books of the Bible, you'd learn the whole Old Testament off by heart. Anyone? No, me neither, right? (laughs) But if you went all the way through the education process, if you were an elite student, at the end, you would be invited to apprentice under a rabbi. You would travel with them because your life would then become organized around these three main principles. It was this. Number one, be with your rabbi. You would leave behind pruning your old life, your family relationships, your income, your job. You would leave it behind and you would go and you would travel with your rabbi. You'd travel around Israel eating with them, talking with them, living with them, building a relationship with them so that, number two, you could live like your rabbi. The goal was that you could imitate their life, be like them, live how they live, do what they do, in order that, number three, one day when you completed your apprenticeship, you could apprentice to be a rabbi yourself. See, somewhere along the journey, your rabbi would turn to you and say something along the lines of, like, well done, now go and make disciples. Go and be a rabbi. Go and continue the message, the story, the training, the instruction. Go and live in that way. And when Jesus first walked on the planet 2,000 years ago, that is the same model that he used. It was a well-trodden path. Just think about it for a moment. What did Jesus say at first? He said, come, follow me. If you remember, like Simon Peter and Andrew in the fishing boats, he says, leave it behind. Come, be with me. We saw it in today's reading, verse 9. Remain in my love. Come, be with me. Now, of course, today, to follow Jesus is not to find a Jewish rabbi and follow him around the Middle East. Uh, You don't have to wander around church this morning, wonder who Jesus might be, and go and follow him to lunch. That's not the goal of Christianity. But it is, of course, in the spiritual sense, the same thing. The role of the Holy Spirit is to be Help us to be with Jesus. The spiritual life is, as Tozer says, the constant conscious communion of being with God. In order that, number two, we might live like Jesus. You know, the invitation of following Jesus is actually to be formed in our inner man or woman so that we might actually become like God, pervaded by love. You notice it there in verse 10 this morning. And the goal is not just to know what a rabbi knows. The disciples didn't want to just know what Jesus knew, but they wanted to actually become like him, to learn life from someone who had mastered it along the way. Christ-likeness is not the byproduct of knowing a lot about the Bible. It's actually the result of Christ in us. Remaining, abiding, so that, number three, we can do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. 
Um, you might be interested or not in any way to know that after last week, I went home and Googled whether WWJD is actually still a thing after accidentally saying it in the sermon. So it turns out it is still a thing, and you can buy a WWJD bracelet, it turns out. So I have ordered uh, WWJD bracelets. Um, and if you'd like one, um, no, buy your own. Uh, but I haven't got enough for all of you. Um, in fact, I kind of reflected that it probably should be WWJDIHWM. What would Jesus do if he were me? But then I realized you can't put that on a bracelet. So who knows? Maybe one day we'll make something um, like that. But that was the goal of being an apprentice. And it's the goal that Jesus says is that do what Jesus did. We are invited to find our contribution to the world, the full destiny. Notice Jesus said, doesn't he, even greater things than this you will do. I love this little quote from Trish Harrison Warren. The deceptively simple call of discipleship is to take Jesus at his word, to open ourselves fully to him, to organize our schedules, our routine, our study, our daily practices around him, and by doing so, to become the very people who can do what he would do in our day and in our culture. Just notice how different that is to the way that we often describe Christianity. You know, I don't know what you grew up with, but I grew up with go to church, read, read your Bible occasionally, pray in the morning, believe in Jesus, go to heaven. That's basically the theology I grew up with. This is so much deeper. It's so much more active. It's so much more all-encompassing. I mean, just to like lay it down a little bit heavy, you know how many times the word Christian is used in the Bible? Any guesses? One, three. Not bad. One, pretty good. How many times is the word apprentice or disciple used? Any ideas? 100, good. 269. Right? It's a different picture than we sometimes grew up with. It's not primarily even about a religious set of beliefs, although, of course, it includes that. It is actually more than that. Bishop Callistos Ware says, Christianity is more than a theory about the universe, more than teachings written down on paper. It's a path along which we journey, in the deepest and richest sense, the way of life. Let me say to you a little bit controversially, just to uh, get you emailing me this week. Jesus is not primarily in inviting you to be a believer. He's primarily inviting you to be a follower. And that's more. So what does that look like? What does it mean to be a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, to live the way, if you, if you like? Well, it's definitely not an invitation just to be more religious but in the early church, when they looked at this, they looked at the life of Jesus. They looked at the things he said, the way that he'd lived. This is what they decided, that they needed something of a rule of, of life. Basically, what they looked at, the life of Jesus, they, they realized that they needed to mimic, to model how Jesus left, lived. And so they looked at these sort of ancient, time-tested disciplines from the spiritual life. Um, and just in case the word rule completely triggers you and you're like, I'm getting out of here to go to lunch, let me just tell you, it's rule and not rules. I think the best picture actually um, is of a trellis. Um, in in, my, uh, in my, our old house in England a long time ago, uh, we had a little corner of our backyard which the previous owners had laid down this big square of decking. Um, and in each of the corners of the decking, they put these four pillars up like these four by four poles that went up about seven feet in the air and on top of the the four pillars was just this very thin like very 
light lattice work of wood. And when we saw it for the first time in the winter, it was like, it's not very impressive, you know. It's not watertight, it doesn't really shade very much, doesn't seem to be very useful at all. Why did they do that? But we realized why, because in the summer, when the vines on all four corners of the decking grew up the pillars, they then arced over the top and weaved their way through this lattice work of different bits of wood until they very quickly created a whole roof to the decking. In fact, it was by the end of the summer, it was completely impervious to light. It was actually pretty much watertight. Now, the trellis, which is exactly what vines use as well to grow up the side, is not impressive in itself. You don't build a trellis to be like, I'm such a great trellis builder. Look at my amazing trellis. A trellis is simply there to support growth. It's a means to an end. It's a plan, if you'd like. It's a map, a path, rather than a straitjacket. You look through it and not to it. And when the ancients looked at the process of discipleship, they realized that they too needed something of a structure to undergird the spiritual growth that they longed for. Now, here's the good news. You already have such a thing in your life. You might not call it a rule of life or a trellis. You might not call it spiritual disciplines, but I bet you, you have something. What you have are the very rhythms and the priorities and the activities that you choose to live by every day. The way that you choose to use your time and your energy and your money and your, your, your best bits and your worst bits. You've got it. In fact, not only have you already got a rule of life, but your rule of life is perfectly attuned to give you the exact spiritual results you're already getting. It's perfectly tuned. It's brilliant. I don't know if you know what your spiritual goals are, but the rule of life you have is already getting you there. Why? Because you're already being formed. Every minute. Every day we are being formed. Sometimes we know it because maybe we're being bombarded by another advertisement that's telling us to buy something because we Googled something three weeks ago and it's now coming up every five seconds on our devices, right? We're being formed. Billion dollar companies are forming us to change the way we shop or eat or travel or live. But more than that, we're being formed all the time, formed by the choices we make, formed by the people around us, formed by life. It's not a question of if you're formed, everyone's formed. It's just a question of what you're being formed by and what you're being formed into. What are you being formed into at the beginning of this new year? Well, what the ancients discovered was that we need something robust to help form us into the likeness of Jesus. There are no accidental saints, as one theologian puts it. We require a plan. And our goal over these next nine weeks is to try and help you, to give you some tools to wrestle with, to create something of a healthy formation plan toward love. So what does a, what does a rule of life even contain? Um, well, at its heart, a rule is like a system and a structure of spiritual disciplines. Uh, probably, if I didn't lose you on the word rule, I probably lost you on the word disciplines, I realize. But, but a discipline, as John Mark says, is this. It is any activity that I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which I currently cannot do by direct effort. Lost you? Good. Let me say it again. Okay. A discipline is any activity 
that I can already do by direct effort, that will eventually enable me to do something which I can't already do. Let me give you an example. So for my, my 40th birthday, uh, my beautiful, lovely wife, Laura, she gave me a whole series of sessions with a personal trainer. Uh, clearly a hint she was dropping. Uh, <laughs> I was offended, obviously, but grateful. No, it was, it was great. So I went to my gym and spent a couple of months with this guy who's like a movie star kung fu guy who was between jobs and was like, you're a lost cause, let's do you. I think as far as I could work out. And the first week I was at the gym, he said to me, do you want to bench press, right? Now, I will tell you, secretly every man has this little part in the back of their brain where when they hear those words, what they think of is Arnie, right, in his prime. They're like, yes, muscle beach. Yes, I'd like to bench press. So he took me up to the top of the gym and the upstairs at the back corner where I never, ever had been before. You know, that bit of the gym where all the people with the tight T-shirts and the belts flexing, flexing their guns go. So he took me there and he said, lie down on the bench. And I thought, okay, here we go. And so he, he laid me down and he went and got the, the metal bar and he put the metal bar on the rack above my head and he said, right, let's begin. And I thought, no, what, what just the metal bar? He said, where are the weights? He said, no, no, just, just the metal bar. And I thought, this is so embarrassing. He's like, I can't just bench press the bar. I mean, that really is embarrassing. But he said, no, no, we start with the bar. So, okay, two minutes, honestly, of bench pressing the bar. And after two minutes, I was done. <laughs> I was so embarrassed, all these like, big men and women around me, like all these muscles, and I was like, two minutes, and I can't even bench press the bar. So I went home very defeated uh, that first week, um, as you can imagine. But the second week, I went back, and uh, it was just a little bit easier, and then I got one weight on either side of the bar. I felt very, very impressive. Um, and it was a bit easier, and then week three, I got a couple of weights, and actually, by about week eight, I could bench press a modest amount of weight. Now, it wasn't a question of trying harder. I can tell you I nearly burst a blood vessel in my neck that first week, just hanging on to that piece of metal. I didn't need to try harder. I needed to train harder. Train harder. I needed to go through a process. I needed to build some stamina and some technique and some muscles along the way that would help me to practice that which what I was attaining. And spiritual practices are to spiritual formation what exercise is to strength training. It's the same kind of idea. It's not about trying harder. Because if you try harder to be better, it doesn't really work, does it? I mean, we all have a certain amount of willpower, and I don't know about yours, but mine's generally gone by breakfast. <laughs> we don't need to try harder. We need to train. And when we do spiritual disciplines, what we're actually doing is not even just training to be better people. You know, like, spiritual disciplines are good things in themselves. I mean, the things we'll look at these next week, you know, they are good for us like mindfulness is good for us, or meditation, or just the occasional cheeky kombucha on the way home. Like, they're good for us, but they won't transform you. They won't change your life. But what's different about spiritual disciplines is that they're really there to open us to the presence of God, right? They're there actually to open our lives and our hearts and our minds up to the greater reality of God who can transform us. 
to the Holy Spirit that is waiting and longing to bring his power to bear in our life. That is what spiritual disciplines do. They are a means to an end to help us to encounter the love of Jesus. And the truth is we have a role to play and God has a role to play. And the ancients called it synergy. It basically meant that you, know, you can't just be a radical grace kind of Christian who says, I'm sitting on the couch, drinking the beer, eating the popcorn, God, do what you want. But at the same time, you can't be the kind of Christian who's like, I'm going to change the world for Jesus. I'm going to just be more religious. That'll do it and God will be pleased. That's not, neither of those are the pathway to formation. Augustine in the fourth century, he says it like this. I love these beautiful words, right? Check these out. Without him, we cannot. But without us, he will not. See it? Right? God will not transform us if we just sit around on our butts all day, but in the same way, we can't transform ourselves. And so what we do is spiritual formation practices to open ourselves, to make ourselves available to God, to make ourselves present to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not that we earn the love of God. Dallas Willard said that's impossible, but grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Jesus says, keep my commands and you will remain in my love. So these practices that we're going to look at are going to help us. They're going to help us to open ourselves to the presence of God and multiply the effort. Addition doesn't work. Subtraction definitely doesn't. But when we bring our best and our effort, when God brings his Holy Spirit, that's when transformation starts to happen in our life. Um, and so what we're going to do actually over the next nine weeks is we're going to explore one by one nine ancient practices from the way of Jesus. They're not magic. None of them will be things that you probably haven't heard before. You can see them on the screen. Here they all are. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about Sabbath, prayer, fasting, uh, solitude, generosity, scripture, community, service, witness, They're all things you'll have heard of, but we're going to explore them in depth. We're going to do them on Sundays, each one at a time. And then in community groups, which Carla mentioned, we're going to invite you into community groups. And some of our community groups are going to take lecture four weeks on each one of these. Not just to talk about it, because it's not about education. It's about formation. And so you're going to actually practice it and try some out. In order that, really what we're hoping is that you will build for yourself a private rule of life. Um, we actually have this amazing online tool that John Mark's given us. Um, if you're very nerdy, you can already go along to practicingtheway.org and you can start to do it. It's amazing. It has drop-down things. You don't even have to type. You can just choose the bits that you want. But our hope is that over nine weeks, you're just going to get a bit of a flavor for some of the practices uh, which are going to help you along the way. Some of them you're going to hate. You'll be naturally like, like I don't want to ever do that. That's fine but others of which I hope and I believe that God will use in your life to open you to the life of Jesus. It's a, a, a rule is supposed to be flexible. It's not supposed to be something that goes around your neck. I, I love this little quote from Margaret Gunther, who describes herself as a wife, a mother, and an Anglican priest. Um, she says this, a good rule of life can set us free to be our true and best selves. It's a working document. It's a kind of spiritual budget, not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but not constrict us. 
It is all about the invitation to follow Jesus. As John Ortberg says, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. I don't know if that's your story today, but my prayer is, my hope is, that by the time we get to Easter Sunday, you will be able to say that that is true of your spiritual life. Deep contentment, deep joy, deep confidence in your everyday life with God. Jesus says this, remain in me. I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit by yourselves unless you remain in me. Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit. And Lord, wherever um, we feel burdened by that historic pressure of performance of religion, I pray that even now at the start of this journey, you would allow us the freedom to take an easy light yoke from you. But in its place, Lord, that you would birth a hunger for holiness, a desire for love. That even this morning, you would just speak to us about those first little steps along the journey, the things that need to go, the things that need to change in order that some new things might begin. And so, Holy Spirit, we love you and we worship you and we welcome you into this place and say, come, have your way amongst us. Transform our lives more into the likeness of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.